Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Francois Leneau, who is Director of Global Business Development at Geodis, and David Marshall, who's Global Account Manager at Geodis. And today we're going to talk about supply chain transformation in the oil and energy industry. Now, there's a lot of discussion today about you know, supply chain transformation. A lot of it is, is focused on consumer goods and retail industry, but there's a lot of challenges and opportunities in the oil and en energy industry too. I mean, what are some of the um, you know, key trends that are impacting the oil and energy industry? Uh, where are companies today on the digital transformation journey? And you know, how can they move up you know, the, uh, the, the maturity curve and how can they work with their logistics partners to, to help them get there? Well, those are going to be some of the questions we're going to discuss in today's episode. And it's great to have Francois and David with us today to kind of share their insights and advice uh, with us. So, uh, Francois, David, welcome to the program. Nice to be here. Thanks, Adrian. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for making the time. Uh, you know, like I always like to do before we kind of dive into the, the topic, I always like to, you know, real briefly kind of understand a little bit about how my guests come into the industry, you know, and, um, you know, what the current roles and responsibilities are. So, Francois, why don't we start with you first? Uh, just briefly tell us a little bit about your career path, how, how, how you got involved with this industry to begin with, and what your role and responsibilities are there at Geodis. And then, David, uh, you know, same for you. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, actually, I'm uh, in charge right now of the uh, 4PL business development for Geodis Supply Chain Optimization and Geodis Organization around the world. Um, I started my career on the 3PL side, actually, about 15 years ago. Um, I was on board of uh, some oil and uh, chemicals tankers uh, in the port of Fostromer, uh, next to Marseille in the south of France. Actually, my dad was a security officer to control the loading unloading of the, of the materials and the chemicals. So I had the chance to spend a lot of time on board of those big, big tankers. And having the passion originally on the sea, and the passion you know, on the freight management. I wanted to study logistics, economics, and after actually a master's degree at La Sorbonne University in Paris, France, I had the chance to start working with Geodis 10 years ago as an intern, and I started actually more in the 3PL implementation within the oil and energy world, and I moved progressively to more strategic outsourcing and 4PL uh, type of uh, business models, what I'm doing right now for for Geodis. So starting really on the 3PL side, on the tankers, and now working more on, on strategic transformation with oil and energy companies and others. Great, great. David, how about yourself? Yeah, I actually started off in IT. I, I was a software developer uh, who somehow managed to start work for a 3PL company. Uh, and then did a slow transition into the business. Uh, I've been in through logistics and forwarding 3PL for 25 years, after five years in IT. Uh, <clears throat> I moved myself and my family over to Houston five years ago uh, to focus more on oil and gas. Uh, prior to that, it was, a, it was in Aberdeen in the UK, which again is another oil and gas center. Great, great. Well, now it sounds like, you know, with that Texas map in the background, you're firmly in uh, a Texas uh, uh, native now. Yeah, I'm just, I'm texting, you know, tell them accent. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Well, thank you both. I, you know, I, I mean, it's always, I'm always curious to see how folks get into this industry and, and uh, it's certainly a great industry to be in because there's so much exciting things going on. Uh, and then certainly let's, let's talk now about the oil and energy uh, industry. We'll start with you, Francois. I mean, like, um, uh, like, like I said in my opening, you know, comments, you know, industries like retail and CPG, they, they tend to grab the headlines when it comes to supply chain management. But there's actually a lot, you know, going on in the in the oil and energy industry too. 
I mean, which is an industry that has a you know big impact on on the world economy. It's an impact. It's got a big impact in all of our you know personal lives too. I mean, what is what are some of the key trends that are that are impacting companies in the oil and energy industry? Yeah, thank you very much for for your question. Um, first, when we talk about oil and energy uh, for for geodes and, and and what we want to talk about today is specifically related to IOCs, NOCs, so international oil and gas companies, national oil and gas companies. But also, what about the drillers? What about the EPCs? So the engineering companies, the procurement companies, the construction companies. So all this landscape of the oil and energy industry. That's what we are what we are talking about. So. Um, Today, in terms of two things I want to, to share with you to answer to your question is, first and foremost, the challenges they are facing right now. I would say the, ma the main challenges and the main trends associated to, uh, to that. Um, we have to think and, and go back a little bit uh, to the 90s and to the 2000s, the early 2000s, where actually the oil and energy companies had the move towards uh, uncontrolled outsourcing. Uh, with multiple 3PLs and, and operators around the world. And when I say multiple 3PLs is to be able to manage their entire supply chain uh, end to end around the globe, to have probably 50 partners in, in the Americas, 150 in, in, in Europe and, and, and more than 100 across Asia Pacific. So this really led actually to a, a complexified supply chain, a complex uh, supply chain structure. And also actually it led to a loss of control of the activities and uh, when I'm saying loss of control of the activities, I'm talking about transportation planning, transportation execution, monitoring, track and trace, exception management. Uh, also, everything related to finance services like freight bill auditing, freight bill validation, uh, reporting, performance management. There was really a loss of control about these, those core activities of supply chain um, uh, management. Um, the companies, the oil and energy companies as well, actually, saw that um, they were always, um, you know, expecting to have strong IT information background and, and data access. And actually, with those multiple 3PLs around the world, that brought a high complexity, complexity sorry, in terms of uh, data access, data availability, uh, and so on and so forth. So all this, it's very interesting because that has resulted in the fact that the current logistics uh, business model, actually logistics management business model for the oil and energy has resulted in really inconsistent and different results in terms of scheduled service predictability and cost predictability. Scheduled service, the performance of the operations, it's not there. And the cost predictability, actually this non-control outsourcing really creating complex supply chain costings exercise. So companies now, what they want, they want predictability, they want visibility, uh, they want performance of the operations, but what they are more and more interested in is to be able to build the right supply chain costing models to control and optimize the cost moving forward. So that would be uh, my answers to, to your first question on you know, challenges, trends in the oil and energy industry right now related to supply chain management. You know, a couple of good points there that I, you know, that I picked up. You know, first is the, the recognition that this is a very large ecosystem, right? So it's not just the, the international companies or the brand name, brand name oil and energy, uh, you know, uh, companies that we all know. But, yeah, you've got, uh, you know, so many supporting, you know, uh, parties in this ecosystem, whether it's engineering companies, you know, the drillers, the logistics companies, obviously. And then your term around uncontrolled, uh, outsourcing. I think like a lot of companies, um, you know, it sounds like what a lot of companies have done historically, which is you know, they didn't view logistics as a core competency. So, you know, they, they kind of outsourced it, but it sounds like in, in this industry, just because of its complexity, its global nature, 
uh, they ended up with this very fragmented, uh, highly fragmented and diverse, you know, ecosystem that became very, it's become now very difficult, you know, to get that visibility, to get that information, to get that control, if you will, around, you know, more, you know, managing more effectively, you know, their, their supply chains. Uh, David, do you kind of see that as well? From your perspective, what have been some of the challenges? Yeah, I mean, the, the challenges go a little bit deep in that as well because you said that oil and gas is a big ecosystem. It, it, it hits a lot of different avenues. And even within the oil companies, they have different challenges within different divisions. Uh, if you take upstream oil and gas, for example, uh, the challenge for offshore drilling is more to the cost impact. Uh, the cost of oil is making it less, less competitive for them to drill offshore so they have to manage to their cost. Whereas in onshore, we have situations like in, in Texas, just now in the Permian Basin with the, with the growth of business, that it's more to do with actual physical transportation side that's impacting them. Uh, it's not the cost, but it's actually how they physically get the material to the, the, the drill site. Uh, and I think for both of them, the, the, the thing that's, that's driving the trend is, is to be able to predict what they're doing. If they can predict what's going to happen offshore, they can, they can plan better, they can reduce their costs. And likewise, if, if onshore they can predict when the vehicles are going to start, when the availability of the assets is going to be there, they can plan better and make decisions. So I, th I think the challenges are different across the way, but I think that the trend is the same thing. It's, it's moving to a more predictable supply chain. Uh, oil and gas supply chain has always been very unpredictable. Uh, we've always just said oh, it's in remote locations, it's, it's difficult to do, so we just accept the predictability or the unpredictability. But now it's a case of, no, there's systems and solutions out there that can actually help predict what we're doing and make it be more efficient. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I, that, that, that point about predictability. I, I mean, obviously, you need, you need the data, you need the visibility, you know, to be able to, you know, feed into, uh, you know, the business decisions, right? And not being able to look back in time, but also be able to, you know, look forward and predict, you know, what trends are happening, what changes are happening so that you can, you know, align your processes, your resources, and so forth, you know, accordingly. And I think a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of the trends around that is what's underscoring or, or kind of foundational to all this discussion that, that's happening around digital, you know, transformation, you know, which is one of these other buzz terms that you hear a lot today. I mean, where, you know, going back to you, Francois, I mean, where is the oil and, and energy industry today with, you know, on this digital transformation journey? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the the, the question again. Um, digital transformation is something important, but uh, before you know, you have to think about the overall transformation, the overall supply chain transformation, and the digital transformation comes into that. But before we go, I go further on that. Very simple. I think the answer to your question. I believe the oil and energy industry today, in terms of supply chain digitalization, is behind. Is behind two things. Behind the pack, and what I mean, the pack is one of the most advanced supply chain in the world right now in the high-tech industry, in the FMCG industry, we are mentioning fast-moving consumer goods in the retail industry, uh, which are way advanced in terms of order management system, transportation management system, visibility, and so on and so forth. But they are also behind actually themselves because oil and energy companies are very advanced in terms of digitalization for technical engineering when you have to, uh, you know, do all those plannings, execution of the extraction of the technical extraction of the, the liquids and so on. It's very complex. So they are very digital and thanks God they are very advanced in that field and they are able to do the incredible uh, discoveries they are doing and now very, very deep uh, with deep sea as well. So um, this is quite, um, uh, quite interesting because they are very advanced in digital transformation, but late in the supply chain 
digitalization, if I may say. And and why 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 they are behind actually right now? Um, I think they are behind because. Clearly, right now in the oil and energy industry, you have a lack of information, you have lack of visibility, you have a lack of monitoring, you have you don't have a lack of data, you have a lot of data, but you have data dissemination, and all this data dissemination actually um, and different data formats do, does not allow uh, collective actions uh, and unified planning for uh, oil and energy uh, oil and energy companies. So uh, this is quite interesting because. All this data complexity shows that, yeah, today they have not coped with that problem yet. And they are looking towards how to transform that or to change that. So I believe they are behind in terms of supply chain digitalization, but very advanced overall in terms of digitalization. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, I know I've seen, you know, programs on, 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 on TV where they show kind of the sophisticated technology that they use for exploration and discovery and, and all that. But then I think, you know, I mean, do you see part of it being that, you know, like in many other industries historically, the supply chain, especially the logistics side, it was kind of viewed as kind of, again, non-core, an area that, uh, you know, like they, they outsource, they just didn't invest in the people, the processes, the technologies as much on that side of the business, overall business process, as much as on the, you know, discovery, the research, the engineering side? I yeah, I think I think so, and I will let uh, obviously David gives his uh, very interesting, uh, uh, in, very interesting point of view. I think uh, uh, you know they they outsource, but they there was uncontrolled uncontrolled outsourcing. So it's not a matter that it's non-core. Okay, it's non-core. You are not going to do it or invest in the IT system, but that does not that still means that you need to have a very clear plan with the companies you're going to select that they will be able to provide this digitalization and those companies have not done those analysis. Great. So we'll, we'll get back to that point uh, later. But David, I, I'm interested in your perspective as well in terms of the digital transformation journey. You know, where are they on the maturity scale at, you know, from, from your uh, you know, interactions with customers and, and folks in the industry? Yeah, I, I think it's very much like FX. I think they're behind the curve for sure, but there is a lot of pockets out there of, of, of good solutions. And I think one key thing it misses from the industry and what was connectivity. Uh, there's a, a serious, there's a very large in, impact on uh, lack of connectivity between different organizations, different, within different groups within the same company, within their suppliers and vendors. And I think the solutions that are out there, they just have to be connected better properly so that they can actually start to feed in this data. As, as Francois said, that, the data is there. Everyone has data places, but it's all in different formats, different locations. And pulling that data together is key to actually transforming what they're doing. Uh, the information is there, but because it was non-core or whatever reason before, it's never been a, a focus. Now it's turning into a focus, and that's where it, it has to really quickly speed up and catch up with other industries. Great, great. So it sounds like you know, relative to other industries, you know, oil and energy is a little bit, you know, one of the la is, is a laggard. But it sounds like based on what we've talked about already that because of the, the today's environment, there's enough, uh, there's enough of a catalyst, if you will, or driving forces for the industry to start moving up that maturity curve sooner rather than, you know, rather than later. So the, the question then becomes, Francois, I mean, how do you get started? I mean, how, how do you, you know, if you're a company in the, in the you know, oil and energy industry, you know, how do you get started? Or how, what, what do you need to do to start moving up that maturity curve from a digital transformation standpoint? I would start as I was uh, staying a little bit earlier. I would start not with the digitalization aspect of it, of the transformation. I would start with the overall transformation roadmap. So those companies need strategic alignment internally to identify 
really what score non-core to their activities. And if supply chain strategic is, if supply chain management is strategic and, and, and maybe non-core, that does not mean they're going to outsource and everything without control. That means that they need to build uh, this transformation plan. So, um, even thinking about digitalization before, actually, what those companies are looking for, they want safe, reliable, scalable, global solutions. They want qualified personnel. Uh, and, and most importantly, right now as well, they are looking for uh, models, commercial models with their suppliers, commercial operating model, where uh, those models allow actually for continuous learning and continuous improvement. So I believe those companies need to start there before even thinking digitalization is being clear on what's core, non-core, and what's non-core, what's the outsourcing plan, and what's the overall afterward process plan, people plan, skills plans, methodologies plans, and IT plans. So the IT plan digital is coming as part of all the other aspects. What's my skills plan? What's my methodologies? Where do I want to have internal skills versus external skills? And so on and so forth. So I would say relax on the digitalization, think about the overall transformation first, and put the digital as part of the plan. Conceptually, that's what should happen. Yeah, that's a great point. I think for a lot of companies, um, you know, they dive right into the technology piece of it, right? They may read about blockchain, let's say, or they may read about, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, all these buzz terms, and they may get the, you know, the, the, you know, the inclination to, you know, we need to start investing in these things. But to your point, you know, to dive into the digital aspect of it without first having defined and getting alignment on the strategy and going through this you know, non-IT discussion and alignment, uh, you could be setting yourself up for, uh, you know, for failure and, you know, a lot of wasted time, money and, and resources uh, with, without that, uh, you know, taking that very first uh, step. Uh, David, your, your perspective on this, um, you know, in terms of getting started and, and kind of what the first steps should be and, and what are some of the important considerations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, for me, there's two key steps. Uh, the first one of these steps that is, is the need to do a deep dive. They need to understand what their the, the business wants, what the prioritize is, and what their overall strategy is to how it's going to have an impact on this. Uh, but they have to also understand that they have to go in with an agile mindset. Uh, what they perceive today as being the, the, the highlights, the, the risks, etc., may change for you to start doing this deep dive. As, as the industry matures and changes and transforms, they'll need to change their business model, might modify and change as well. So. I think do the, do the dive, understand what, what's needed for the execution and the planning and the strategy behind how you're going to manage your supply chain, but also look at the fact that what you think today might not be how you think about it tomorrow. Uh, at least a lot of new ideas, we've seen this with many customers that they come in assuming transformation will be using blockchain, use the blockchain, they want to move into blockchain. But if they do the deep dive and have the right methodology behind them, they might find out that blockchain is not for them, but there's something better out there that's going to help them adapt their business. So, yeah. Do the deep dive, but also keep an open mind to where it's actually going to take it. You know, the, the agility piece is, is very important. I th I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, I think that things are changing so rapidly, you know, today. And I think that, you know, number one, keeping a pulse on what's happening in the industry as a whole is, 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 is important. But really putting together as part of that strategy, I think that asking that question, which is, you know, how you know, how agile are we as an organization or as a, as a supply chain, right? In terms of the partners that we have and everything else, because, you know, you know, from a process people technology standpoint, you know, we may go down this path, but maybe in two years time, three years time, 
you know, we may have to make some shifts in response to whatever might, you know, whether it's regulations or competitive pressures or customer expectations, you know, a lot of unknowns um, and having that agility to, you know, uh, move in the right direction or change direction if need be is, is, is critically important. Um, and I think this is, again, uh, you know, as, as a way to wrap up now, we're kind of getting a little bit short on time, but, but certainly probably, probably this is related to my, my next question here. Uh, and obviously relates to how you work with, with your customers. I mean, how can, you know, uh, relative to everything we've talked about so far, I mean, how can companies work with logistics partners, you know, to help them on, on this journey? I mean, what, what are some, you know, frameworks or ways that they can, you know, think about leveraging partners? Uh, yeah, I like the, the, the word you, you use, uh, ways, uh, framework, actually. What, what we like to say is what, what options they have. What are the options they have actually to, to transform? And there are actually multiple options, and every situation is going to have different solutions, uh, and so on and so forth. So I'm going to lay that to you, and, and I know we have a, uh, you know, you have a bit time constraint, but uh, what are for us, for me, actually, the five major options they could, uh, they could they are facing and they could uh, undertake towards a successful transformation. Uh, first and foremost, actually, they could keep the uh, same uh, structure as of today. So they keep those companies, they keep the sourcing, the procurement internally, those functions, they keep, keep them internally. Uh, and they keep all their network of three peers with the complexity there is today. But in that case, they need to invest in additional IT systems, IT layers for visibility, uh, master data management, and so on and so forth. And they need to invest as well in skills methodologies to orchestrate this end-to-end -end supply chain with all those three peers. So they could stay the way they are, but they will need to invest in some IT skills and methodologies. The second option would be to keep all the three peers right now, but also decide to outsource uh, the procurement activities, and we can discuss on, on, on pros and cons. The third option, is, which is start to be also very interesting, is companies who are going to select, I would say, a regional 4PL, or empower a regional 3PL, or regional 4PL. So in that case, globally, this company is going to work with different 4PLs who are going to orchestrate different 3PLs within the region. So in this scenario, it's important for the oil and energy companies to keep the procurement function internally to control the procurement of the 4PL and then of the 3PL layer. There are some complexity in this uh, uh, in this model, but some companies really, uh, really like that. The last two models uh, are first, the lead logistics provider, and secondly, the full 4PL strategic outsourcing model. The LLP, that's when the companies want to keep the procurement internally, sourcing, rates benchmarks, supplier performance management, but they're going to outsource from a and controlled outsourcing the orchestration, the control tower, the IT systems, the skills, the methodologies to do the planning, execution, finance, performance management. And the last model is when companies are like, even procurement, it's actually non-core for me, and I can get better service and, and, and rates competitivity if I outsource that procurement power to a 4PL who is going to manage as well the control tower, the orchestration, and so on and so forth. So multiple options for different situations. There is, I would not say necessarily one better than another. You have to go through the specific situation of the company. But if you look at the end from a service predictability, from a cost control standpoint, LLP for PL would, I, I, I think, are actually the best, uh, best models. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, tying it back to what you said before, you, you know, there is not a one size fits all solution for, for every company, you know, in this industry. And it goes back to what you said before in terms of the first step being, you know, understanding what your strategy is going to be, and to David's point, what your objectives or your metrics are that you're trying to improve upon, and that then helps inform, you know, what's the right option 
you know, for, for your company of, of the five different models that, that, that you talked about there. Um, and I think, you know, like, like you said, you know, for a lot of companies, um, you, you know, there's no one size, you know, fits all solution. You really have to start with that, you know, that, that evaluation. Uh, David, your, your, th- your thoughts in terms of, you know, in your experience working with, you know, clients and all, um, what are some of the uh, ways that they can leverage partners to achieve their objectives? Yeah, I think, I think one of the ways is, is, is some of the new ways of actually managing the partnership in the first place. Uh, one thing that we're strong is, uh, on is uh, a time called vested partnerships, where there's, there's more of a, a collaboration uh, and a vested approach to, 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 to share the benefits and, and take on the challenges together and work it in a much more collaborative manner. Uh, there is sometimes needs where that cannot happen and it, it, you need to go for a, a, a reduced scope in that. But I think the way we're seeing it is that if your company considers that it's non-core to manage this business, then, then do it in it with a, a collaborative partner. Don't hand it over and forget about it because then you still have to man-manage it. But find a way where you can actually gain efficiency from it, gain cost savings, gain productivity improvements, uh, and look at it together. Yeah, and to that point, it's all about finding the right partner. Uh, not everybody fits with everyone. Uh, and I think everyone, if you find a partner with the same mindset as you have and the same, same strategic growth ideas, uh, that's very beneficial to both parties. And, and that's where we see it growing into, is that more of this collaboration around the whole process. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'd love to hear that. I'm, I've been a huge fan of the Vested model, you know, for, for many, many years. Uh, um, I, I assume that you're familiar with, you know, Kate Vitasek from, you know, University of Tennessee, and she wrote the books on Vested. And, and uh, I took one of the early classes when they, when they just started that and at, the, at the University of Tennessee. Um, so I'm a big, huge fan of that, and, and I'm glad to hear that that's the, you know, something that you know, more and more both partners, logistics providers, and, and companies are, are starting to look at because I, I firmly believe that you know, uh, really taking that approach, uh, that more strategic approach, more long-term view approach is really the, the best path to success you know, moving forward as opposed to the traditional uh, you know, viewing you know, logistics you know, uh, uh, companies as vendors or suppliers mm-hmm. versus true partners in, in achieving you know, their, their objectives. Um, you know, Francois and David, I mean, I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground here uh, today. Like I always say, we, we always just manage to scratch the surface uh, on these topics. I'm sure we can speak for, you know, I'll probably put a whole conference together just on this industry and, and what's happening in this industry and, and some, uh, you know, uh, recommendations for success. But, but I think you provided some great food for thought, uh, you know, for companies in terms of how they need to be thinking about, um, you know, their, their journey moving forward uh, in response to the, the challenges and opportunities that are available in this industry. So, Thank you both again for making the time to be with us today. No problem. Thanks, Asia. Thank you. Great. I want to thank those of you that joined us. Uh, if you're watching this episode on demand, uh, either at the Geodis uh, website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment for Francois or David, uh, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more, they'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you for joining us, and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.